and welcome to the Transfer Window. This is the podcast that not only takes you inside the biggest deals at the biggest clubs in world football, but brings you insight and analysis on the issues that matter every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. I'm Jordan McFarlane and joining me are pundits extraordinaire Duncan Castles and Ian McGarry. On today's Transfer Podcast, we look ahead to an incredible Sabbath of action so enticing that we've decided to rebrand it Super Size Sunday. Although fear not, Big Sam, his pint of wine and atrocious football will still thankfully be consigned to the bin. We take a deep dive into Manchester United's battle with Liverpool and ask if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's men can inflict a serious wound in their bitter rivals' championship hopes. And with a Carabao Cup final of Chelsea v Man City on later in the day, we create an incredible combined 11 from all four teams. Hello Podders, Johnny McFarlane here. I think it's enormously important with this podcast that I allow you to listen to a small fraction of Wednesday's podcast before this one starts. Otherwise, some of the comments and humour probably might uh, fly above your head. It'll make sense by the end of the podcast. Okay, we've got a question here from at Swap PPPC. Duncan, one horse-sized Jurgen Klopp or ten duck-sized Jurgen Klopps? Who would you rather fight? <laughs> <laughs> don't well, let it be said that we don't get the good, intelligent questions here at the Transfer Window Podcast. Well, I'm a pacifist, so I, I don't want to have a, a physical fight with anyone. Um, but... <sighs> If I had to choose between uh, ten ducks and and one horse, I think I'd probably go for the the, the ten ducks rather than the, the horse because the horse is going to be a good bit bigger than me and it might clippity clop all over the top of me. <laughs> oh, it's, I'm, I'm it's good to see you're not quackers. I I've, got to, I've suddenly got this image of um, Duncan and surrounded by ten ducks saying, "Not the face, not the face." <laughs> <laughs> Well, guys, Sunday sees an absolutely titanic encounter as Manchester United welcome Liverpool to Old Trafford. They're, of course, bitter, bitter rivals, and United will be desperate to put a dent in Liverpool's opportunity to win their first title in nearly 30 years. So, I suppose the question is, Duncan, can Manchester United continue this level of unbeaten form in domestic competition and win this game? Well, I think they'll have a good chunk of the country supporting them, um, which is unusual for Manchester United because uh, there does seem to be a lot of people who would uh, be quite amused by the idea of Liverpool um, failing to win the, the Premier League title again. I think it, it's, uh, it's a really interesting game to see how the two managers approach it. Um, I don't think Liverpool have been playing very well recently. I think uh, the Champions League game in midweek was another example of that. I saw a lot of people describing it during the game as, as them being um, miles on top of Bayern, um, even in the second half. And I think in the second half, for about 35 minutes of the second half, they'd had, they were up 40% of the possession and hadn't had a single shot at goal. All, the, all their shots came at the end of the game. In total, Neuer made two saves in the match. Um, Neither of them particularly um, great saves. I think one of them was probably not even going in the net anyway. Um, I thought Bayern 
took elements of the way that Manchester City played at uh, Liverpool earlier in the season in that they decided that it was a good idea to uh, hold the ball near their own penalty area, pass the ball near their own penalty area and, and draw Liverpool to them and then and then try and play um, across the for above the forwards and uh, and through the lines and create chances that way, and um, they played pretty well um, and they had control of that match for long periods, and I, I'm intrigued to see how Klopp goes to this game because I I think he'll be tempted to to play defensively. Um, I think he'll be tempted to say a point is a good result here. Um, and it, and set up for a point and then try and, and grab a goal on the counter um, using the quality of our forwards. And, and I think there were, there were, the one positive of the Bayern game was there were periods of the first half in which the front three for Liverpool were combining creatively in a way that I hadn't seen them for quite some time, albeit they couldn't get the ball in the net. Their shooting was poor. Uh, the intelligence and the, and the originality of some of their passing was at a level we hadn't seen for a long time. With, Duncan, it, uh, appears, it appears that there's been an alien landing uh, in your vicinity there. You see, uh, Duncan, <laughs> just check. Are there any ducks under the desk? <laughs> <laughs> Low-flying ducks uh, in a B-17 bomber, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If there's 10 of them, just shoot. Square go! <laughs> I, I think the, the problem for Klopp and the other interesting side of this is that Solskjaer's team has clearly shown itself to be best as a counter-attacking side. Um, uh, you know, for all the talk about we're going to play the Manchester United way and we're going to go out all out and score goals, the the games where they've been really impressive, um, Tottenham, uh, Arsenal, uh, Chelsea. They, they've actually been quite disciplined in their defending and they've used pace on the break to get chances. I mean, the, 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 the victory over Chelsea, they ended up with less than 35% of the possession. Um, I, I think they only had one shot on goal in the entire of the second half after they got their, their two-goal lead and, and, and sat on it. So Solskjaer, you'd think, would be tempted also to, to sit back um, and use pace on the break uh, as the best way to go at Liverpool. So we, we might end up with a very cagey game uh, in the sense that both managers decide to play it pragmatically um, and that uh, a draw wouldn't be a bad result and uh, and and the, you know, the, the, the aim of their game plan will be to catch the other side on the break. And there has been huge, uh, and, and understandably, huge hype on this game. Um <clears throat> based in the tribal rivalry, clearly, based in the permutations of who are favourites or not to win the Premier League title uh, and the effect that the result of this one match could have potentially on the, the eventual outcome. Um, now Manchester United are playing at home. That's probably what makes the game slightly more difficult to predict um, because... <clears throat> Solskjaer is kind of in a win-win situation um, in the sense that uh, if he beats Liverpool, then obviously that dents the title hopes, but at the same time <clears throat> enhances Manchester City's. So you'd have to ask United fans who they'd want rather win the title, one or the other. Um, if he uh, draws the game, then his credentials are boosted once again. 
to get the job full time. Um, and I'm pretty sure that he's not even contemplating losing. Now, <clears throat> Klopp, I think Duncan's right, will be pragmatic. Um, he knows his team are lacking sharpness and momentum. We saw a lot of that in the midweek tie against Bayern Munich, a team who um, were very, very tactically uh, well-organised and disciplined. But Liverpool still failed to break them down um, at Anfield. And again, this is why I'm going back to the old Trafford factor. And so Liverpool need momentum, desperately need to regain that sort of you know irresistibility that they had a few weeks ago when they were scoring freely and looked to have all the confidence in the world. Um, obvious as it may sound, an early goal for either team will probably predict quite accurately the outcome of the game um, because <clears throat> either one of these teams having to chase the ball um, and chase the game will leave themselves exposed at the back and therefore with the counter-attacking speed which both sides have um, chasing the game would not be uh, something which they'll want to do especially um, in, in the first if as I say a goal comes in the first half uh, you, your game plan never really uh, allows for you losing the first goal because that would be negative for the manager. Um, there will be a plan B if that happens, but the plan A is always that you can score first. That usually results in games of this intensity of there being no scoring for a long period unless there's an error, unforced error, or a penalty or or whatever. So um, look, there's a lot more riding on this, I think, for Liverpool than there is for Manchester United. So you can read that as... Klopp, if Klopp wins it, then they become the team that they possibly were a few weeks ago. If Manchester United win it, then it's you know basically sticking the uh, the Vicky up at their um, oldest and most bitter rivals with regards to their, t- their title bid. Um, for that reason, <clears throat> in terms of um, how this game will go, uh, I think it will be cagey. I think it will. There's there's a, there's so much at stake for both. Both clubs, both teams, both managers. Um, but I do believe that Manchester United being at home is um, an advantage in this case and will see their players feel more confident and probably play a bit more freely than Liverpool have been of late. The, in, I mean, the interesting thing, you mentioned plan B, is that what we've seen with Solskjaer is he's been able to come up with very good tactical plans to upset opponents from the start of games. But he's really struggled when the opponents have done something different during matches and you'd think for Jurgen Klopp that is an invite um, to try and do something unexpected because if, if he can set Liverpool out either start the game in a way that um, that uh, Solskjaer doesn't expect or, cha- or change system during the game in a way Solskjaer doesn't expect you, you'd think he could take an advantage there but I'm not sure Klopp is um, particularly adept at doing that anyway. I think he, he, he basically has a, a game plan and a way of playing, which is obviously takes a lot of training ground development, um, takes a lot of practice with the players. You see, for example, how long Fabinho took to adapt um, to being a Liverpool player. And, and it's, it's very the same with Andy Robertson. It's very clear that Klopp wanted them to understand the system and the pressing moves and the, the, the passing angles they use before he, he would put them in as starters. So I think it's quite hard for him to change during games. 
Um, and then the other big question about this match is, um, is of course, whether Jamie Carragher will keep his window wound up on the way home from the, from the stadium. Okay, we're going to move on now to the Super Size Sunday special quickfire round. And what we're going to do is have a combined 11 from all four teams. So that's City, United, Chelsea and Liverpool. We're going to play in a 4-3-3 and we're going to start with the goalkeeper. Ian, who's your goalie? Uh, thank you very much, my friend, for giving me the easiest choice of this <laughs> particularly difficult quickfire round. Um Whoever brought up, whoever came up with this idea is clearly an idiot. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I take full responsibility. I take full responsibility for that. Um, so obviously, um, yeah, no, I don't think there's any 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 real competition in goal. Um, uh, we've seen that uh, both Alison Becker and Kepa <clears throat> are, are error prone. Um, Ederson, I think, has been excellent this season, and of course, his um, playing out from the back is great. And um, but I mean, I think still the best goalkeeper in the Premier League um, is James Milner, and uh, therefore, sorry, <laughs> sorry, uh, David de Gea, David de Gea. Well, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, David de Gea for me definitely um, would would be my starting goalkeeper out of the four. Um, just for everything, utterly reliable, brilliant, uh, instinctive goalkeeper, and incredibly, incredibly um, uh, safe in terms of giving. The, the defenders in front of him confidence. So yeah, De Gea plays and go for me. Now, Mr Castles likes a very specific way of doing this. So I'm just going to check with you, Duncan. You want to go left back first? That is the traditional way of the, tra the traditional Castles way. Yes. Okay, Let, let's let's hear your left back then, sir. Uh, Andy Robertson would be my left back. Um, more for his attacking. Uh, qualities. Um, I think uh, the Bayern game was was a bit of a shock to the system for him. He got caught out by Serge Gnabry early on and and, and wasn't particularly confident in the way he played. But left back, as it quite often is, is a problem position um, for a lot of the Premier League teams. Certainly, as for Manchester City, you're looking to recruit there. Um, Chelsea are better with a, an attacking perspective at Marcus Alonso and um, you know my thoughts on Luke Shaw at Manchester United. So um, it's an easy call, Andy Robertson. OK, Ian, we're going to the left centre-back, or just a centre-back. Let's not overcomplicate matters Indeed. in a complicated enough <coughs> uh, uh, quick-fire round. Well, I think I think we know that Chelsea and Manchester United are much poorer uh, in terms of um, players in this position. Um, so I will put Imeric Laporte, who I think has been um, progressively uh, improving throughout the season and now looks to be uh, a very assured commanding centre-back. So I will, one of my centre-backs would be Laporte. And a left-footer to boot, so he does actually fit into that left-sided uh, defence. I, I, I do try, I do try. <laughs> You've done this before. That's why you're a Sunday supplement legend, Ian. Right, Mr Castles, centre-back. Um, well, if, if Laporte's getting one of the, the choices, then you're going to have to have Virgil van Dijk in there to, to cover for his uh, his mistakes because I think Laporte's, <laughs> Laporte's strength as a centre-back for Pep Guardiola is how well he passes the ball, which is exceptionally good, um, not not only because he's, he's, he's left-footed and he wants to have a left-sided player hitting passes there, but his ability to hit long diagonals is um, probably the best in the league for, for a player in this position. But... Um, Van Dijk is more of a true defender, um, and you know 
no shortage of passing skill and ability on the ball, but he does have that um, all the elements of, of a centre-back you'd like in terms of physicality, um, a little bit of nastiness, um, and, and being able to see other people's errors and get in and use his pace to, to make up for them. Um, so Van Dijk could be the, the top choice centre-back. A bit, of, a bit of needle there from Castles once again, uh, Mr. McGarry. Indeed. Not, not half stuck in the boot in today. Oh, well, you know, what goes around. <laughs> just, 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 look, just, just, just watch out for those ducks in your area, Duncan. I've been training them up, commando style. I should say <laughs> marine commando, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Let's hope everybody's listened to the Wednesday show or none of this will make any sense whatsoever. <laughs> right, right, right back. In days gone by, and, and, I, and I don't mean the days of black and white television, this would have been a very easy choice because Dave Aspilicueta, as he's known to his teammates, <clears throat> has been you know sort of fairly consistently the best right back or right sided of, of a three defender in the Premier League. But um, he seems to be slipping uh, in terms of his own very high standards. And so in that case, I will choose uh, a young man who's rising in his own standards, and that is Liverpool's Trent Alexander-Arnold who, uh, again, like Andy Robertson, probably is slightly better in his attacking than he is in his defending, but his defending is improving. Um, and also, uh, he is someone who plays very well in this particular formation because it allow, does allow him freedom to move fairly easily from defence into attack and overlap. So, And even inside forward as well, if, if required, depending if the play is, is based on the... Uh, the left side of the of the uh, of the field. So Alexander Arnold for me at left back. Okay, Duncan, take a quack at uh, I mean crack. Sorry, at uh, a defensive midfield pivot. Should we just say, uh, Johnny, at this point, if anyone hasn't listened to Wednesday's podcast, <laughs> it is essential listening for you now. Just rewind, listen to Wednesday, and then come back and listen to today. <laughs> and you might actually laugh at a Johnny McFarlane joke. I can't guarantee it, but you might. <laughs> Unlikely. <laughs> um, defensive midfield is actually a, a very tough one to, to choose because there are a lot of really strong defensive midfielders between these, uh, four teams, apart from Liverpool. Apart from <laughs> Liverpool, you have to struggle along with Jordan Henderson, um, uh, which kind of shows you where James Milner's real value is, that he, he can't hold down a place ahead of Jordan Henderson. The obvious choice would be Fernandinho, um, who is superb um, and absolutely pivotal to Manchester City. But I am going to go for Angolo Kante, even though Maurizio Sarri doesn't feel he should be playing there. I think if you had the choice between the two, um, you would pick Kante because he's got a broader range to his game. He's more mobile. He can do pretty much all the things Fernandinho can do. Um, but he gives you that um, that sort of body and a half as opposed to just one player in the midfield. Um, and it, it's one of the, the huge mysteries of football that Maurizio Sarri has still not decided to, to change his system um, after all the pressure he's come under and all the problems he's had at Chelsea to, to bring Conte back in there and replace the, the, the flailing, ailing Jorginho. Ian, centre midfield, who fits the bill? I have uh, Paul Pogba. Um Someone obviously whose range of passing has been shown to be um, excellent in all in all shapes and forms um, in in recent weeks. Uh, he's a he's a game changer. 
<clears throat> because of his goal threat and his, his ability to assist with the most deft pass, um, which is going to be uh, essential in this particular um, combined 11 because I've got a good idea who uh, is going to be playing in the front three. So, um, yeah, Pogba for me on the left side of the pivot. And uh, no, sorry, Duncan. I think you can get away with Pogba because you've got Conte behind him to to cover up for his complete lack of defensive um, <laughs> activity. But uh, the he, I, 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 again, a very tough choice. This, um, you know, you just look at the Manchester City options, and you've got Kevin De Bruyne coming back from injury. You've probably got to exclude him because he he, he hasn't played many games this season. But in terms of potential, absolutely. Top of of um, at the top of a, a, a very strong list. Um, you got Bernardo Silva, who I think has been um, arguably the best uh, attacking or offensive midfielder in the division this season. Um, absolutely fun, fundamental to City, but I, I think I'm just going to go for David Silva um, because of his big game ability on top of doing all the the very uh, the difficult stuff, well, and and the uh, and the, the, the in some senses the easier defensive stuff, very well too. And I, you know, I think um, if you're asking me for a player of the year nomination, I, I'd probably go for David Silva. And I think um, David Silva def- def- deserves to get one of the the player of the year awards simply because of the quality that he's been um, in the English Premier League throughout his entire career. And I'm not sure he's ever going to get one. Suspect he won't win it this year, uh, and I suspect he might never get one. So um, I'll have David Silva in this team. Okay, Ian, we're going to go to left wing again. <clears throat> this is the uh, you know the, the, the embarrassment of riches for this team, um, especially d- divided over the four teams of Super Size Sunday. Um, I, I guess I'm sort of split between Hazard and Manny. Um, Manny for sheer pace and ability to score and assist. And also um, one of the few Liverpool players who I think is on form at the moment and uh, and can be a match winner. Hazard, um, for sheer quality in all departments, um, we know all about him. I don't even have to explain to any of our um, cultured listeners um, those qualities. Uh, but I'm going to go for Manny in this instance because I feel like he, <clears throat> he is a game-changing player in terms of goals or assists and, and the pace on the counter as well. So I'm going to put Manny on the left side of the three. Duncan, on the right side? So I had a huge vote of confidence in Manny putting him ahead of Hazard, but I think it's deserved, um, or at least credible in the, the level he stepped up to this season. I think he has, for a lot of this season, been the best attacking player for, for Liverpool, which is a surprise. Um, and it shows that he's still on an upward trajectory. Right-hand side... Um, I think you have to go for Raheem Sterling. Um, uh, arguably the most consistent attacking player um, in the division this season. Um, ability to score goals, ability to set up goals, can play right or left. Um, I think Guardiola's tried him in the centre. That hasn't worked yet, but you could see that in the future as being something he could develop and just uh, just comes up with the goods at important times again and again and again. Ian, top us off. Piece de resistance. Who's the striker? Bizarrely, not an embarrassment of riches in terms of your traditional goal-getter. Um, 
Chelsea have struggled in that position all season. Liverpool have been playing a false nine uh, effectively for most of the season. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, Manchester United uh, are getting goals from Martial, who is either playing the left or the right and uh, coming in side. Rashford's been a bit hit and miss. Um, so I think Sergio Aguero is, is really the only realistic choice um, in this supersize combined 11. Um, record goal score for Manchester City, etc. A true poacher who can also, as we saw in the uh, demolition of Chelsea, um, hit them from 25 yards, etc. as well. So uh, all-round striker, I think. Put Aguero up top in that team, uh, I'd, I'd see them take on anyone in the world. Yeah, it's a fantastic team. I'm not sure about the pecking order in the dressing <laughs> <God>. room. <laughs> well, it certainly fitted the bill. Sorry, Duncan. I apologise. Get, get yourself into the Daily Record offices and go and edit some copy. Okay, yes. Well, it's time to slam this particular transfer window shut. But uh, fear not. We'll be back on Monday to fulfil all your podcasting needs. To continue the debate, we are all on Twitter. We've, of course, got our own Transfer Window official account, which you can find and follow at Transfer Podcast. I'm at Johnny R. McFarlane, and more importantly, our pundits are at Garbo SG and at Duncan Castles. If you like the podcast, and we know thousands of you do, do us a favour, go online to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and give us a five-star review. That helps us reach as many listeners as possible. Until Monday, thanks for listening.